going to preface this morning with uh, a few thoughts from last evening that we didn't get to uh, on the big picture of missions. But before I do that, uh, I'll tell you what my heart is for the missions conference. And that is by the time we're finished, I'm hoping that we're going to have at least 86 missionaries. <clears throat> so that's my goal. So a couple of points yet from last evening, one of which is in the big picture. Now, the assignment of the church. Our assignment is to make the Lord Jesus visible, intelligible, and desirable to all people. My illustration comes from um, Afghanistan, northern Afghanistan. We're out in a village where the Taliban had attempted to force and force radical Islam. And as a result of that, a lot of people suffered. Our mission there was to bring water into villages that were where there were mud huts way back. And you see that in the picture there. But my point here is that as we were there and, and attempted to, to share who we were and what we were about in a way that was compatible with Islamic mindset. I mean, we were in a pretty kind of a, I wouldn't say we were in a hostile environment, but we were in Afghanistan and we had a lot of friends there. And so in the midst of that, there's, there's you know, we have these men together and we're talking about how this project may work and what it's going to look like and, and where is the water tank going on whose property, meaning that if the water tank goes on this man's property in the village, it's not his. It belongs to everybody. And so as we talk, it's like, where do ideas of love and compassion and mercy and sharing and working together for a common cause. Where do these ideas come from? This is not part of their mindset at all. And we say, well, we have a leader and, and we follow him and we attempt to do it the way he would do it if he were here. Our assignment is to make the Lord Jesus visible and, and understandable and yes, desirable to all people. Let's look at an effective witness. I want you to remember this. It's three Ps, three Ps in a pod, easy to remember. What an effective witness is characterized by? Three things, purity of doctrine, piety of life, and patience in suffering. We'll just break that down a little bit. In this picture, you are seeing two kingdoms. At least I do. The one kingdom is giving blood. The other kingdom is taking it. This is at a casualty collection point, just behind the front lines, about a city block or two back from the front lines. And we're there working, and they come running in there with people that have gunshots to the head and, and burns and all of that. And they throw them on a bed. And there are people from the kingdom of Jesus Christ here that pounce on that situation. And, and it's obvious that there's pure doctrine. The motivation is from the Bible, from the word of God, from being a follower of Jesus Christ. And then there's a life that corresponds. So remember, in this picture, 
And remember for life that faith and mode of life for the believer are inseparably one and the same. What I believe and what that looks like in life are the same, extremely powerful. And then a commitment to follow through with that at any cost. <clears throat> the sum of wisdom is to understand what direction God is moving and then to fall in step beside him. We're back in Pakistan, up in the Northwest Frontier Province, where the Taliban are. There'd been a big earthquake and we're there rebuilding. And so we sit together with these people. My point here is that you, you notice the, 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 the situation on the ground here. Uh, we're not sitting at a table with white linen. Uh, but the, the example of Jesus, you know, as I, as I look at his character and his model, he would, he would sit where they sat. He walked where they walked. He ate what they ate. And by doing so, he learned to know where their heart is, and they understood who he was. He understood their heart. They understood his. It's what takes place when we can sit right where they are in their cultural setting. And guess what? We're here to tell the story. It's okay. You sit on the floor and the food goes on a blue tarp and they want you to just push up and participate. Well, if you are an amputee like me, you can't sit cross-legged like you're supposed to do culturally and it's culturally not acceptable to point your feet at anyone, so what am I to do? I just take my leg off and lay it beside. Then I can sit like they sit. This raises conversation, um, and we'll, we'll just leave it with that. But when God opens a door, he expects his people to walk through and to do so in cooperation with him. And God is opening doors. Doors have opened into countries that have been so closed, strongly Islamic. Suddenly, Cyclone Cedar comes to Bangladesh, blows a door wide open, and allows the church right into the public schools. And that list can go on. All right, we need to get started with today. I wanted to give that yet from last evening, and, and there's more to the big picture. But for today, we want to take a look now, a close look at the perfect missionary, Jesus Christ. How did he do it? What was it like? And as, I, uh, as you can see here, we're framing uh, these points from uh, the Gospel of John chapter, wrong verse, wrong chapter, I'm sorry. It's chapter four, I have the wrong one here. John four. I'd like to give this to you as an assignment. I don't know when you will do this. You're very busy, but, but take time to study the Gospel of John chapter 4. And it's the story there of Jesus as he comes to Samaria and he counters, encounters uh, the woman at the well. And, and so we want to learn from his life this morning, five points. And they all start with a W. I know what it's like to be a student. So we kind of frame this in a way that it's easy to remember. Five words that start with a W. 
from the character of Christ. First of all, in John 4, and, and I, for, for the sake of time, I know we should be reading the scripture here, but I'm going to let you study that out. John chapter 4. You, we know the story. And so the first lesson from the perfect missionary is Jesus is seen walking. And this is very important. Jesus' profile was meek and lowliness of heart. If we're going to reach people, meekness, humility, lowliness of heart. I'm not coming to them as an American with all the, with all the answers. They look at the American as having the money. The, the, you know, back in America, everything is good. Everything, jobs, money, it's just a good life. If I could only get to America, my problems would be finished. Now, Jesus gave a different picture. He was meek and lowly in heart. Let's just mention here that if the man or the people from another country want to put you on a pedestal as an American, and they will, they have this idea, you know, that the American is up a few rungs, and if I could just get on that ladder and move up a few rungs, I would just be close to where he is, and I could identify with him, and I'd just be a cut above where my countrymen are. Okay? Don't let them do that. If you are offered a pedestal, don't get on. You don't have to step on. <clears throat> People need to see our feet. I mentioned that before. I'm going to mention it again. Philippians 1.27 says, Only let your conversation, let your walk of life be the same, same as becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I see you or else be absent, doesn't matter. I know, I hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. <clears throat> Illustrate a few things. So Jesus is walking. Well, we say that's just the way it was done back there. It's still done that way. So we're in Abbottabad, Pakistan, and we're based there. And uh, I could do things a number of different ways. I didn't have internet there. I couldn't get my email. It was hard to even make phone calls. And so I had to walk down to the town to get to an internet cafe where I could plug a cord in my computer, download my emails, and leave again. I could have chosen to drive down there in some way. I didn't have a vehicle, but I could have gotten a taxi. But I chose to walk. Abbottabad is a, is a uh, city of schools. And so I would walk, and I would come down. I'd see a man coming, a young boy, maybe 18, 20 years old, about just like you here. And he'd come with a, with a stack of books under his arm. And I'd say, he's in school somewhere. I bet he can speak English. And so I, I come right in his way. And as he comes, I reach out my hand, and I say my name. Sure enough, he responds in English. I know he knows English now. And so he says, so, uh, so where are you from? I say, I am America. Oh, you're from America. So Christian. And I say, Christian? What's that? What's Christian? And he says, well, uh, oh, okay. So now he's already caught on that in my mind, Christian America may be two different things here. And I say, we need to talk about this. 
Well, we do. So we get off the sidewalk because there's other people coming. You need to be careful because people have their radar out. Kidnapping of Americans is very, very common here, especially at this time. And you want to be careful where you openly talk about who you are and so on. So we step off to the side, maybe under a shade tree, and we talk a little bit. I say, you know what? You need to come to my house. Really? Your apartment? Of course, you are welcome. I get his phone number, and, and we make a plan. And sure enough, they come. They're interested. They want to talk religion, of course. They're Muslim. They're going to try and convert me, and I'm going to try and convert them. That's, that's the way it happens. They come to my living room, and, and there's where we talk. <clears throat> I'm walking home from the market. Once again, I'm walking. I could be riding, but I'm walking. And I'm carrying a couple of bags of maybe some uh, vegetables or something. I'm coming, and it's been a long day. And uh, there's times when I can't cover up as well as I can other times when my prosthesis or my leg gets sore. I was limping a little bit, and I'm walking. And this man pulls up in his car. He comes beside, and he cautiously rolls his window down. And he says, um, <clears throat> excuse me, but... Uh, uh, are you having some problem, problem with your foot? And I say, well, actually, sir, I only have one. Really? And I pull my pant leg up, and I show him. He says, where are you going? I said, I'm, I'm on my way to my apartment. Now, remember, he's a total stranger, and he's driving his car. He says, get in. I'll take you there. Okay? So I get in his car. I don't know where he's going to take me, hopefully to my apartment, but I am totally vulnerable. I'm a sitting duck at that point. I get in his car, and we begin to talk. He takes me to my apartment, and outside the gate, we stop, and we visit for a long time. The short story is, I ended up putting a Bible in the man's hand. He's Muslim, but he wanted a Bible. He said, we need to be careful with this. I said, I understand. I wrapped it up for him. We had these little Bible covers like they make them out of fabric. They look like, a, like an oversized envelope. You slip a Bible in, a little flap comes around with a little bit of Velcro, and you can give it to them as a gift. Nobody needs to know what's inside there. A man come to our apartment one day, and we were there talking, and I, I have a Bible. I put it in, into one of these, and I put it on the, on the little coffee table where you serve chai, chai and biscuits. That's the way you do. And, and I just lay it there, and, and this student, He's, he's a young man. He's in school. He comes there, and we're talking, and I notice where his eyes are going. He, he continually, he's, he's eyeing this thing on the table. And after a while, he says, uh, that, 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 it's, not a, it's not a holy book in there, is it? And I said, well, actually, it is. Would you like to have it? And he said, well, yeah, it, that'd be good. I said, it's my gift to you. And he picks it up, and he takes it along. Now, remember, I'm in Pakistan. He's Muslim. Uh, and so you, you, you followed that. Did I give it to him? No. Did I ask him to take it? No. I just laid it there. Now, I, I put a little salt on his tongue, and I made him thirsty, but I didn't give it to him. He, he just took it. <clears throat> Jesus is seen walking, and there's a reason for that. Oh, I need to tell you one more story here in Pakistan, once again, about walking. So we did a project. We were building houses, and it was way up the mountain, and it was far. And, and these young men, you know, they're, 
they're all muscle. There's not, a, not an ounce of fat on these Pakistanis. They can run trails like goats. And they say, we're gonna take you there. I said, okay. Now, I try to not let the young men get too far ahead of me, but I can't keep up with them anymore. And, and so we said, we will come. And these men take off running up that trail. And after a while, they turn around and they look back and they say, hmm, wonder. Yeah, we know he's a little older, but there's something different. And they come running back and the one says, uh, do you have a problem with your foot? And I say, well, actually, sir, I only have one. And I pull up my pant leg and they nearly faint. And I say, well, yeah, no wonder. And about that time, the other one comes. And guess what happens next? Those men grab me in my arms. I have one on this side. I've got a Muslim right here and I've got one right here. And I have them, they have my arms. And together we go that trail and we're going up the mountain. Guess what happens? You can't do that without developing a pretty close relationship and communication. Guess what? I've got two friends. Not only do they need me for their project, but I need them. Very, very important. Okay. We need to keep going. Second W, Jesus is seen willing. <clears throat> Our story says that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. Be intentional. Jesus was willing to go to Samaria. Now, now, Samaria was kind of a hostile place, wasn't it? Yeah, Jesus could have avoided Samaria. He didn't have to stop there. I remember when we worked in Israel years ago, we, we would go to Nablus over there where Jacob's well was, and there was a checkpoint you had to go through, and it was pretty hostile there. It was a place where they'd throw rocks from the bridge. If they knew you were a believer, they would, they would hurl rocks from bridges sometimes. They'd break windshields or something. Uh, you, could you could feel the tension there. But Jesus said he needed to go through Samaria. Jesus was unaffected by prejudice, hatred, and danger. It just didn't bother him. Jesus was willing to forego his reputation and lines of culture for the salvation of this woman. Jesus is seen willing, willing hearts. It's what God is looking for. It's what Jesus is looking for. No telling what God will do with a willing heart to go wherever, whenever, and do whatever and however he calls and directs. <clears throat> he is seen willing. <clears throat> Did we end at 8.30? 8.45. Okay. Let's pay attention to the time here. I'm going to try and, try and fit into my bracket a little bit better this morning. <clears throat> he is seen willing. So we're out in a village that had been uh, controlled by ISIS. We're back in Iraq now. And we're out doing a little bit of human, humanitarian aid. And one evening, we're there in a, in a compound. And you know, when you go to places like that, uh, if there's floor space, then the house is not full, OK? If there's floor space. And they, they put us into rooms on concrete floor like this with just a, with just a, uh, a blanket 
And we had our own little mats along, helped a little bit. That concrete gets really, really hard, especially for me, but it, it, it's really hard. And so we're there, and, and uh, one evening, my wife and I were, uh, it, it was about dark, and we decided that there, there was a house out, out a little ways away from the compound there. And so we, we said, we're going to go out there and see if anybody's home. We like to find people. And, and, and so we talked to the guard at the gate. The soldier was there guarding the place, the compound, because the military had one end of the house and we had the other, some floor space. And uh, so we, we talked to the guard and we say, is it okay if we go over there? And he said, uh, yeah, that's okay. He spoke English, you can go. And so we went and it was about dark in the evening. And we go out there and we walk over and around the house and sure enough, we find people at home. You are welcome. And we go and we sit on the floor and we talk as best we can. We're communicating. And after a while, it was dark. I look at my watch and I say, you know what? We, we better get back to where we came from. And we go out of the house, we go around the corner, and we start back toward the gate, and suddenly there's a bright light in my face. And, and there's a voice behind the light that's shouting something. Now, I can't understand because I couldn't understand what the man is saying, but I knew there was something is wrong. It, he's in earnest. And I put my hands up like this, and I say, no, a medici. He was shouting. And so what are we to do? And this light stayed right there. And carefully, we kept on walking. And I said, no, a medici. I, I wanted him to know that I'm harmless man. And somebody inside the compound, the gate, heard what the man was saying outside. And they ran out to him. And they said, don't shoot. They're American. So we cautiously walk up to where this man was. He said, you need to understand something. Anybody can walk up to our compound after dark, have a bomb under their shirt or their jacket and say a medici and kill us all. We ask no questions, only we shoot. And I say, really? Is that so? I asked some people, is this really? Oh, they said the man was watching you in the crosshairs of his rifle. And any mismove on your part, you wouldn't be telling the story for real. Here's what happened. The man that was guarding the compound when we left went off duty and another man came and he didn't know that there was somebody out that was coming back. People asked, were you afraid? I said, concerned. Uh, Jesus is seen willing, he willing. And, and that little slide you saw there, okay, let's leave that. So Jesus is seen wearied, third W. This is really important. Value wrestling with the opportunity of ministry. Okay, so there's opportunities for ministry, and sometimes we wrestle with those. There were other people that did that too. The disciples wrestled with ministry. They were, you know, they were called, Jesus, go out. And put your nets down. And but that, that's not the story I wanted. Where Jesus was on the shore and the disciples were out. That's in the last chapter of John. And Jesus says, do you have anything? And they say, no, fished all night and come up dry. Jesus said, put your net on the other side. And as they did so, Peter, he comes to the shore. And guess what happens? 
He had been wrestling with ministry and the call to feed sheep and so on and follow Jesus and his plans had kind of crashed. You know how that was. But what Peter said is, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Wrestling with the opportunity of ministry helps us to understand who we are. Wrestling with ministry, very, very important. Weariness accompanied some of Jesus' great opportunities for ministry, and there at the well was surely one of them. There were others. <clears throat> the feeding of the 5,000, for example. We'll move quickly along here. The last one here, vulnerability is an effective tool for ministry. Vulnerability. I, I had rides in a Humvee. We had rides in armored vehicles with the, with the walls this thick. They said it would stop an average bullet, but it won't stop a, it won't stop a missile. But you know, you kind of, you, you kind of feel a, a little bit secure inside there and riding in the front seat of a Humvee, kind of interesting, but I did. I really felt out of place there. But, but vulnerability is a great effective tool for ministry. <clears throat> Jesus is seen wearied. Let's move on to the next. Jesus is seen waiting. So he comes to the well and he sits there and the disciples go into the city to buy meat and Jesus is there waiting. <clears throat> and as he waits there, this woman comes and we'll look a little bit more uh, at that later. Jesus is seen waiting. Ask God what you can do for him today. If I can improve life for one person, my day has been well spent. Ask God what you can do for him today and then allow him to bring that opportunity to you. I being in the way the Lord led me, waiting. So I go down to get my email, as I mentioned a while ago. And after I download my email, I go down outside of that building and I stand at the corner with my back against the corner of the building where two roads meet. And right there, there's a, the, the taxis are coming. They call them the tap taps, the little pickup trucks, you know, with a little hoop over the top and there's a canvas and people pile into the back there. And I'm standing there just watching. And here comes this little truck. He pulls up and a man jumps out the back and he looks at me. I put my hand out to him and he said, let's go have tea. I noticed something different about this man. He's wearing a distinguished skull cap. I say, he's not the typical. I need to find out who this man is. So we go have tea. And as we're talking there, he tells me, I am a seeking man. I'm a seeking man, but I find out that he is actually a, a technician or a Im pretty important techie person in, the, uh, in the, the PMA, the Pakistan Military Academy. Now, our, our apartment was located on the upper end of the PMA. It was kind of an L-shaped thing. And I found out that Osama bin Laden's house was just diagonally across at the lower end of the PMA, where you would least expect to find him. Now, that's a different story. And we used to walk in, in fairly close proximity of this compound. I wish I would have known it. I know where they came to get him there, and it's commonly known that this was Osama's 
compound there. I, I told my wife I would have knocked on his door if they'd allowed me to. Uh, but, but I didn't get that opportunity. But anyway, that, that's where we're situated. So now I have this man, and he says, uh, and this is my first encounter with him, and he says, you are coming to my house. I say, where is your house? Oh, he said, it's a it's 15, 20-minute bus ride from here. Well, I had been warned, you don't go just anywhere because they, they kidnap Americans here, and they put a price on their head, and I know that. And, and people warned us about that. And this man wants me to come to his house. And so I say, well, I need to, uh, to check with my wife. Oh, auntie. Yes, so where is auntie? I say, at my apartment. So where is your apartment? I say, um, tomorrow we will meet here, maybe at the same time, and we will talk again and then we will decide about coming to your house. You notice I didn't tell him everything he was wanting. I didn't know who this man was. Sure enough, next day, I am standing waiting again with my back against the corner, and I'm watching people coming and going, and here he comes, jumps out of the back of his pickup. Let's go eat. So we go in and we sit. We talked for maybe an hour that day. By the time we were finished talking, I said, yes, I will come to your, we will come to your house. Okay. <clears throat> he said, you come. He said, you get on this bus and you go here. You get on that bus. You go. I said, whoa, stop, stop. I said, you will come here. We will go with you. We will go to, oh, yes, of course. And so we make the plan. Sure enough, he comes. And my wife and I are waiting this time. He jumps out of the back of the pickup. He's on his way home from work. It's in the evening. And we go with him. We get on the bus and we go and we somehow we get down to his place. And they drop us off at the vegetable market. And he takes us back the streets, back through little narrow places. And we land at his house. Now it's evening. And I haven't a clue how to get back to mine. I'm totally vulnerable. I'm at his, we're at his disposal. My brave wife is with me. And we go there. And uh, we, have a, we have a good evening. And we talk. And I look at his bookcase. Sure enough, he's got a Bible in his bookcase. He's got the Quran. He's got a Bible. He's got all kinds of books. By now, I believe this man. He is a seeking man. He's looking for, he's looking for truth. Well, time came to go home, and it was a dreary evening. It started raining. He took us down and put us on a bus, and he said, now go to here, get over on here, go to here, and you will land up back in Apatabad. I said, okay, thank you. And we get on, and we find our way. Sure enough, by the time we get back to Apatabad, it's dark, and uh, we find our way up the street, and we get to our apartment. And the next morning, he called me. And he was just on his hands and knees. He said, I can't believe I did this to you. He said, it was my responsibility as my guest to take you right to your door and make sure you're safely there. Then I go home. Well, what that did is made, it developed a real bond between us, a level of trust, and so on. Now, I need to end this story very quickly because <clears throat> I want to talk about a few other things. But by the time we left there, he would come. I would see him come walking. He'd be on his phone. I'd see him coming from the military academy, He'd be coming up the road toward our apartment, and my phone would ring. Sure enough, I'd look out the window, and I'd see him coming with his phone at his ear. And he'd say, may I come to your house? I'd say, absolutely, you come. I was kind of expecting him. The time came 
when this man, this young man, sat in my living room and he said, tell me how to understand the scriptures. Tell me how to understand the scriptures. If I remember correctly, I took him to the Gospel of John chapter 4. Now, Harry would know right where to start in a conversation like that. I wasn't quite sure. How do you, how do you, where do you begin to tell a man how to understand the scriptures? But I began here, and then I went on into the Gospel of John, and, 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 and we discussed parallels like the water of life and the bread of life, and how that they mean the same, and that it's, 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 it's the desire of, of God that the very deepest needs of our heart be met. We have life, and, and, and so on. Interesting. So Jesus is seen waiting. We need to get to our final point. <clears throat> Jesus is seen with wisdom. Jesus is seen with wisdom. Well, that's really an understatement. But in, in, our, in our lesson today, in John 4, I notice that I notice the consistency of the conversation with the situation. So, Jesus is at a well. The conversation goes to water. Why? Because Jesus is thirsty and a woman is coming to get water. So immediately they, they develop a bridge based on a, on a common interest and the situation. So they, 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 have this, uh, they, they have this in common. Now, Jesus set the stage by needing something from her. I emphasize this point because, you know, somehow maybe the missionary has the idea that, that we come with what they need, okay? All they need is to receive what I have to give. I'm here to show them the right way, and this is right. But Jesus set the stage by needing something from her. Now, <clears throat> I want to also emphasize here that Jesus could not be accused of being at the well at the wrong time. It was not the time that the women... Yes, the women, and you find that in other countries where the women are carrying the water, they're carrying the sticks for the fire. You'll see that on the slides Saturday evening. And so it, it's customary for the women to come and carry water, but they do it in the afternoon, not at this time of the day. And so Jesus strategically lands at the well at a time when it could never be said that, well, he landed there when he knew the women were coming to carry water. No, this is a different situation. Also very important, but Jesus set the stage by needing something from her. He led the discussion in a way so that she would ask. He put salt. He put salt on the tongue. He put uh, the, the book on the table with a cover on it to uh, just get her to wonder about some things. He led the discussion in a way so that she would ask questions. Notice the logic that, ye, that Jesus used to awaken her spiritual interest. Logic, well, this woman, so call your husband. Obviously, she was, Jesus knew 
he had, he had the luxury of knowing everything, of course. But he said, call your husband. And she said, well, I, I don't have one. Uh, I've had four or so, and the one that I now, Jesus said, the one you now have is not your husband. You have answered right. Now she is thinking, and this man is leading her into a, into a discussion that causes her to, to start seeing her spiritual need, deep spiritual need. And it was just a logical question that led to that tremendous, tremendous example here. <clears throat> Jesus kept the conversation focused. And she was smart enough to know that uh, Jesus was going after some pretty, uh, I think there was something going on in her heart by that time. And she said, well, Jesus, yeah, Jerusalem, that's the place where we ought to worship and so on. We all know that. And Jesus brought the conversation. He kept her, he kept her focused. <clears throat> Jesus showed her the way. Jesus showed her the way and led her. That's a, a misspelling. Second mistake for this morning. Uh, should be H-E-R instead of H-E-T. How did I do that? It's because, it's because I'm very human too. He led her to a point of decision. He led her to a point of decision. Very, very important. Steer the conversation. I'm thinking of Philip. When he goes, when the angel comes and he says, Philip, I want you to go down there in the desert. You're going to meet somebody down there. And Philip doesn't know who it's going to be. He takes off in obedience. And he goes down there. And here's this Ethiopian eunuch. And he's coming. And Jesus, or Philip in that case, he comes alongside this chariot. And he's listening. And he hears this man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Now, Philip had the luxury of going into the conversation in Isaiah where there's prophecy about Jesus, and he listens, and he says, uh, do, do you understand? Do you understand what you're reading? And the man said, well, no, I don't. I, I need someone to tell me. And he invites Philip to get into the chariot, and he, from that point, from that very place, from that point in the conversation, just like here, conversation about her husband and about these things, somehow Jesus steered that conversation to the need for water. <clears throat> okay. Um, so this morning, just again in review, study that scripture from the Gospel of John. And, and remember those five points, that the need to walk, the need to wait. It, it's okay to wrestle with ministry, weariness, and, and that's all a part of it. It's my heart that as we follow the life and the methodology of the Lord Jesus, the perfect missionary, that he would lead us to where we can be so effective for him. I'm going to close with that, and uh, I wish you a good day of study as you go from here. This evening, 
we're planning to look at the idea of compassion. Very, very important element in vision for missions. God bless you.